Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching in February 2024. Remember, the b2bincubator.com. Apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand journal roles, and content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategy that they created in it. Again, make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners, this week's interview is with Merioli Arias. Merioli is the head of social media and senior community manager at Apollo. Apollo is the fastest growing, most loved sales technology on earth. I'm a huge fan of it. Now, this is a very special conversation because Merioli is our first guest to come on the show for a second time. She was so damn good the first time, we just had to have her back. Now, a lot has changed since the last time we chatted, but Merioli is still the same absolute gun at all things social media. Yes, it was so great to have her back on the show, George, especially as the social media space is getting noisier and noisier and so much more so since the last time we had her on the show. I certainly think she is one of those industry leaders making the space her own and doing incredible things now over at Apollo. And it's fantastic to see her thriving in a new role and what an honor it is for us to be able to share her great insights and inner workings with our audience once again. She's got a new wonderful framework that I think is going to be so great for you listeners to tune into and start to apply to your own business. So listeners, here's our conversation with Merioli Arias. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners, as you know, we rarely have guests on our show. Instead, we select a few true experts who align with our view that marketing is more about people, not platforms. Today, our special guest is Merioli Arias. Merioli is the head of social media and senior community manager at Apollo.io. Apollo is the fastest growing, most loved sales technology on earth. Merioli is actually the first guest we've ever asked to return to the show, so you know that she's a superstar. We last caught up with her when she was at Chili Piper, and now she's taken things to a whole other level at Apollo. Merioli, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Oh, thank you for having me. I always love to come here and talk. I'm also a listener, so very happy to be here. That's very, very kind of you. And look, it's so good to have you back. Can I just say that I have had Apollo in my feed and in my face for the last year. I'm now an Apollo user and that all coincides with you starting there. So I just want to get that out there. <laughs> yeah, it's been a very exciting year for me at Apollo. And I would say it's also been a very exciting year for the Apollo brand. The marketing department here is fairly new. Like, I think it's just a couple of months before I joined the company. And a lot of exciting things happening, not only on the social media side of things, which is more of my realm, but also in all things marketing. Okay. So, I mean, on the social media side, which is your realm, I saw and read that you increased, you and the team increased Apollo's social media community by 400% in the first nine months of being there. You launched yeah. an amazing employee advocacy program that got over 2 million organic impressions. That is absolutely wild in not even a year. Can you take us back to day one when you moved to Apollo what was the task or the opportunity that was really put in front of you there? When I joined, I, one of the reasons why I joined this company is because it was a very exciting time. There were a lot of raving fans, even when there wasn't a lot of marketing activity, you could say that there was a lot of people who already loved the tool because the beginning of it all was that the tool is a tool that they solve their problems in general and people love tools that can do that for them and for some reason, that's just for social media managers and marketing in marketers in general, it's just easy to tap into that. If you have some people who already love your company or the brand or even just the product, it's just easy to go and say, uh, give the message to them that will make them go from just regular people who consume the product to fans. So that was very exciting for me because I saw a lot of potential there. I saw a lot of people who already were talking about Apollo, even when there wasn't like a how can I say, like an incentive to do, like when you see a brand, and this is where I talk about the need for social media for all brands. When you see a brand that's posting regularly, when their employees are posting regularly, it's more, people are going to be more in, naturally inclined to talk about that brand because they keep seeing it. Like, like you just said, like you keep, see, you keep seeing it in your feed and that makes you want to talk about it. But when there's none of that, then it's a little harder to find those things. But in, in the Apollo case, I found out very early when I joined that there were a lot of people who were willing to talk about Apollo, even if there wasn't like a really active social media or there was no social media strategy happening. That's fantastic. How did you get that sense that people were talking about it? Did you use some tool to do that or was it just happening in your network? How did you figure that out? The first thing that I did, I think I'm the first social media hire in the company. I was the first, definitely the first person in the community team. When I joined, the first thing that I did was a research, which I recommend to any social media joining any brand at any point. So I did a lot of social listening. I did a lot of research in what had been done for the brand, what people were talking about. Like I really wanted to get a sense of do people like the tool? What are they talking about? In which situations are they talking about the tool? And I got to be honest, I didn't particularly use a tool for this because in my case were, was more like, how can I find these conversations organically? If I go into Twitter, what will I find? If I go and do a research for posts on LinkedIn, what will I find? So that was more or less what I did in the beginning. And yeah, it, it turned out that there were a lot of people already talking about us. And like you said, we've doubled or tripled that. 
because now we started talking about the brand and we started like steering the pot a little bit and making conversations around that, uh, around topics that are exciting for our brand. And that was the work. But I would say that we already had like raving fans in there just waiting for someone to take the lead. Okay. And so I was a lucky one. <laughs> I, I'm not so sure about that. But look, okay, you do have a great product to back it up. And as a user, I can attest to that. You do have people who are enjoying the product. So then what was the task for you there? Are we trying to provide a spot for all these people to get together and talk about how much they love Apollo? Like what was the task put to you coming in? and kicking off this social media division for the company? Yeah, in my case, I feel like the chapter of Apollo that I walked in was the one where we were creating the narrative. We were giving people the spaces to talk about Apollo. And I'm not only talking about the social media community, but other kind of community that we've created. We have a sales community. Now we have our events and we have like our evangelist program. We have a lot of things happening where we are creating the spaces for people to talk about Apollo. And not only talk about Apollo, but empower each other. Like we have a lot of users. Like we, I think we're closer to 2 million active users. But the thing is that we're giving them the spaces to talk to each other because there's a lot that you can do with our tool and our platform. And we really want them to communicate. We really want them to say, hey, this is how I'm using it. But at the same time, we're providing the education. So what was my role? Basically, when I walked in, I was like, the first thing, and you, and this, if someone's listening that heard my first episode here, the first thing was humanize the brand. <laughs> I'm going to take you back to the same phrase because I haven't changed that much since we last talked, George. Yeah, humanize the brand. And that was the beginning of it. I was like, how can I make the brand seem like a human? How can I go and make people feel connected to the brand? And we started creating all kinds of strategies. One of them was like trying to empower our employees to have a voice on social media. And by this, giving them the space on our own company, kind of company page, social media in general, to talk about the things they're passionate about. So that was one part of it. But then it was like, I develop this strategy or the way I think about social media is like you move around three big circles where it's like your internal audience, then you have your customers and then you have your potential fans or the influencers or the thought leaders that those are three circles that I'm always thinking about when I create like a social media strategy. And from then on, every action that I create, every campaign is thought to kind of nurture these three circles. And for those three circles, are you trying to tie them back to a consistent narrative, strategic narrative that you put together? Do they have one that binds them all that is constantly pushing the brand forward? Do they have, do you have your own strategic narratives for each of those three circles? How does that all work? I think it always depends on the kind of campaign that I'm creating. For example, if we talk about like new launches, last year was a huge year for us. We have eight big launches. So if, if when it comes to big launches, what I wanted to to do or to see in social media was that people were naturally talking about what they were seeing in the platform. So every time we had a new launch, my goal was like, I want people to be talking about this organically and 100% organically. Like I want to walk into or to like click into our mentions and see someone that had no incentive to do this, but is talking about what we've done. And that was like a big thing for me every day that I would do that. And I would find that I was like, okay, I did my job. I wouldn't say a narrative because in the end, our team is pretty open to feedback in general. So we're always listening. We're always reading what people has to say about them, not only our brand, but our products. 
I don't think it, it is a narrative, but get a sense of what people, the same I did when I joined, which was like taking the pulse of what people were saying. Again, that's part of my job every day. So you're really taking in the feedback of what the people are saying and then feeding that into the personality of the brand so they can relate to it more. Would that be fair to say? I would say when it comes to feedback, I always make sure I share this with a product team if it's something that I think they should be seeing. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a huge indicator for social media that, that we tap into the kind of topic or angles that people are already naturally talking about because that's a huge, uh, I would say, green flag. Hey, if they are naturally talking about this without you having any, like you, you don't have any intervention on it, then it's a topic that's interesting for your audience. So maybe you should be talking about it. So I would say that a lot of social media is listening. It's about reading and listening to what customers have to say about you and about the things they like. Sorry to interrupt, guys, but I need to let you know that our next cohort of the B2B Incubator is launching in February 2024. For those who don't know, the B2B Incubator is our no-fluff program that gives you the strategy, the templates, and the tools that you need to drive more revenue for your business, not just leads. It's built for small in-house marketing teams with limited time and budget. So if you're ready to act on all the advice that we give you and you want to start driving more revenue for your business, next time you sit down at your desk with a cup of coffee, remember to head to the b2bincubator.com and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort. So apply now for our cohort launching in February 2024 so you don't miss out. The b2bincubator.com. Check it out. All right, back to the episode. So practically how you're doing that, are you taking those insights and then are you feeding them into, I guess, some kind of like content pillar about what you guys do say, what you don't say, what you do stand for, what you don't stand for? Are there guidelines around that as well? Yeah, I would say it definitely helps me build my content calendar. For example, if I see someone that's asking a lot of questions about something, I will want to create content for them to have on social media. Or if there's like a if someone is having a, like a particularly a particular use case of our product, and I feel like there's a lot of people who would benefit from knowing about this use case, I might give it a platform, maybe a repost, maybe go and comment, maybe show to try to show it to our communities. I would say that it's just it's about community. Like I would say, the biggest mistake we social media marketers make sometimes is thinking that. We have a microphone and that's, we do have a microphone, but it's not a monologue, but it's like, you really need to be listening to what others are saying in order to amplify your voice and their voice too. So it's including people around you, your fans, your evangelists, your, your customers and your employees all in this big conversation. And you guys are trying to amplify that for everyone. Exactly. And I take it back to the circles again. It's about that. It's really about that because we are all part of a community that has a conversation around whatever topic is relevant to the brand. No, I like that. And I really like those three circles. I think it's such a fantastic way to frame the different audiences that you should be speaking to, speaking with and listening to. It's very particular, the circle thing, because one of them might have a lot of people. Like, for example, when you talk about your customers, you go, okay, in the case of Apollo, we have 
salespeople, we have marketers, we have all our different personas. And then you go to the evangelist, what type of evangelist will be talking about you? Probably if these are our personas, probably marketers and salespeople, it's just an easy way to frame like, if these are my customers and the type of messages that I want to send to them are probably those who are going to get them closer to the product, whether it is like advocacy actions or like the referrals or whatever you want them to be talking about the product in a positive life. So it's just a way of thinking of the actions you want each audience to take when you structure your strategy. And are you trying to structure that in a way so it does get people closer to buying Apollo? How often do you tie things back to the product to show off how powerful it is. Ultimately, we want to, of course, we want to be listening, want to be including the community, but like any function, we're there to help move the business forward as well. So how does that fit into your strategy? And we all know in marketing, that could be a big challenge in general. But yeah, the way we try to, every action that we take on social media has some kind of like thought behind how to get them closer to buy or get them closer to be active on the platform because that, that, that can happen too. So yeah, every time we talk about the product in terms of this is how you could be using it. These are the new features that you could be using. I think any a, every type of content that we create around the product is always taking people a little closer to it. Like even though like maybe active users are the ones who are going to go, oh, I like this or I don't like this because they are seeing it. They're using it. Maybe someone who's in their network is going to see it and they're going to go wax Apollo. Like they're going to want to figure it out. So I would say that every action that we take on social media has some kind of thought behind how to get people active on Apollo or how to get them closer to buy Apollo. You, you mentioned a little earlier that, uh, look, Apollo was for salespeople originally you also speak to marketers. You have these three circles that you're communicating with. Is that a challenge in terms of not your message not getting lost in the noise? Because it's a lot easier to do your marketing when you just have one target ICP, like one dream customer. We know that it's salespeople at companies this size. We know their pains. But now you guys are getting to such a scale that I guess you're probably trying to expand out from that and you're going, hey, it's not just for salespeople, it's for marketers too. And it's for these other group of people as well. How do you tackle that challenge from a social media angle? Because you still just have essentially one platform. Like you still just have the one Apollo brand that yeah. people see. So how do you tackle that challenge? I mean, curiously enough, I had a talk yesterday with a colleague and he basically asked me the same question. But his question was more around, aren't you afraid of like your message getting diluted on it? And I told him that, no, basically we have a platform that we tell everyone it can solve the needs of salespeople, marketers, rev ups. And we really have a platform that at least the way we've built it is to solve a lot of problems. Wouldn't it be a disservice if I didn't take time in my social calendar to talk to each of these personas? The way I see it, and I'm huge, I'm like, like taking things to analogies, I would say, take it, making it a little more real. So I think about it as having a party with all your friends. We have friends from high school. You have friends from university. You have friends that you made with, that are friends with you and your partner. You have these different circles of friends that probably the things you have in common with each are different, right? So basically you have, if you have a party with them, you have to take your time to talk to each one, right? 
So it's the same. When I create my social media strategy, I make sure that I'm talking to each one of my personas, each one of these circles, at least once a week. And when I think about my strategy, when I take a look from, from the outside, I take a look from, I would say, a wider side. Like I, I take a look at it, what I want to do in a year. I try to include each of these personas, each of the circles in the different activities that I'm going to go by. And, it, and this goes by to my, my, this goes back to my time in B2C, where I remember that when I was launching a campaign, my whole thing was like, which channels I'm going to use. I had so many options and I was like, how do I customize the strategy to be able to be in each of these channels and to talk to this different type of people? So it's the same. So I wouldn't say it's not a, not a challenge. But I wouldn't say it's something that I'm super worried about. I don't see it as a bad thing. That's what I mean. I actually see it as, a, in my case, as a blessing. I have a lot of people to talk to in my party. That's fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like a good party. Look, nothing stresses me out more than hosting an event at my place. And for some reason, I have to have those two separate groups of friends come together. You're always worried about will they get along? Because uh, you have different things in common with others. But I suppose... The conversations that interest those people are the ones that they'll tune into and the ones that aren't, maybe they'll tune out to. Practically speaking, let's just say that your social calendar looked like, I don't know, maybe you had 10 company posts scheduled a week for LinkedIn to speak to the sales side. Now you have a marketing side there in as well. Are you doubling the amount of posts that you're doing? So we're trying to get 10 out for marketing, 10 out for sales, or how does that kind of work? I don't think I, I would double. I would try to use, when it comes to de defining how many posts do you want to do per day or per week, this is something that, that goes back to the strategy of, the part of the strategy that's more like numbers, right? We go, oh, if we post three times per day, we'll have less reach on the last, on the last post or whatever. But once I've reached a decision like, hey, okay, if we've tested this and this has been successful, let's say we do 10 posts per week, I would do like, half of them for sales, half of them for marketing. Or maybe I would try to do a week where I talk more to sales and then I would do another one where I talk more to marketers. So yeah, it's not black and white. It's always been a matter of like the balance in any situation. Yeah. So how often are you just executing a set strategy versus experimenting with new ideas when it comes to the kind of content that you're posting? I would say in social media marketing, you always need to be experimenting, always. So at least I would say 30% of your time should be experimenting, figuring things out because algorithms are not static. They are moving all the time and you need to be like, I really liked that recent analogy with, I think it was Taylor Swift in an interview that she said that it's harder to hit on a moving target. So you need to be on the next thing. With, when it comes to algorithms, you really need to be on to the next thing before things change. It, change. And yeah, I would say you need to be experimenting a lot and be ready to, you know, the bad days too. There are days where I'm like, eh, today was not my day in terms of impressions. And that's okay. The next day you can pick up or the next week. Yeah. I love that. So always be testing, always look for that edge, but make sure you don't lose that human edge while you're doing it as well. I want to move to, I think, what your other superpower is. I think the first one is your ability to humanize a brand. I think you're absolutely amazing at that. But I think your second superpower is 
the way that you're able to get the employees of Apollo to all tip their hat in and get involved with this, this employee advocacy. So all your employees, so many of them are all posting about Apollo and they're also able to show their human side and that translates into the brand value as well. How are you able to build that employee advocacy program to, to get people in to contribute? Yeah. First, I would say that it's a huge team effort. One of the biggest things I would say is lead by example. And I think we talked about this on my previous episode with you, where when people are thinking of posting on social media, they are usually what helps them back, makes them hesitate about it is, will I say something that's not right for the company? Will this do harm to my career at some point or at my, with my job? No one wants that. So when you start posting from company accounts and personal accounts and they see, okay, they're doing it, why wouldn't I? Like, why couldn't I? Because I feel like at this point, most people know the benefits of having a personal brand. So in my case, trying to get people to post on social media has been a work of, you know, talking about these benefits and showing them that it's really a win-win situation. When you go to your employees and you say, you have to post this because, just because, they won't want to, they will want to do it. That's it. But when you go, Hey, I can help you ramp your personal brand. If you want, you will benefit from it. Who knows? Like what kind of benefits, like, you know, maybe getting a promotion, maybe getting your next job. I'm not trying to convince anyone to leave Apollo, <laughs> by the way, but like, we all know about the benefits of having a personal brand, right? More opportunities in general. Maybe you'll get more customers, like talking about social selling. Maybe you'll get benefits for your job in general. Yeah. So I just try to like teach them about these benefits. And if they are willing, then I go and probably have some chats with them about how they could do it, blah, blah, blah. But it's not a, it's, it's not a job. It's not part of my job to go and make people who don't want to post post. Like that's just not, it's happened naturally. And I have a theory about it, which is they see the company page posting, they see me posting, they see the marketing team posting and they go, I could do this too. And I could benefit from this. And when employee advocacy is a win-win, when it's not just about, oh, this is going to benefit the brand is when people are going to want to do it. And I think all marketers that are trying to run employee advocacy programs should think about this. It is something that so many of our listeners really struggle with. It's a huge challenge for them in trying to get their employees to post and to partake in an employee advocacy program. You mentioned that education is a big part of it, explaining to people the personal benefits of building your personal brand, of posting. How are you communicating that practically? Like, how have you actually gone and educated these people internally to do that? Are you running internal webinars? Are you having one-to-ones? Do you have frameworks for people to work through? Do you give them ideas of what to post on? How is all of that working? If you can lift the hood on that, please. Yeah. When it comes to, I always wait for the hand raisers. I always say my calendar is open to anyone who wants to learn about or social media or wants to learn about how to improve their social media. So like I said, naturally people just go and pick time. So my calendar and I have one-on-ones with them where I talk about like social media strategy, a little bit of branding, how they could be doing it. What can I help them to figure out what they want from social media? 
And that's the big part of like why you see Apollo employees posting is because when I go into conversations with them, I don't go into, I want you to post because this is beneficial for me. No, it's, hey, there are all these benefits. If you want me to help you kind of like from my professional standpoint of view or whatever, to help you improve and you want to take advantage of that, of me that I'm like here open to have these conversations, then let's do it. But like I said, the difference between the way I do employee advocacy and what I've seen happening in the industry is that I'm not writing copy for anyone. I'm not like telling anyone, hey, George, you need to post this at 9 a.m. tomorrow. I'm not being that prescriptive. Maybe if there's like a product launch and I would like people to talk about it, I go, hey, we're launching this product, support support the post around this. And they naturally do it. But it's not, I'm not DMing anyone saying, hey, post this now. <laughs> that's, that, that's great. And uh, presumably the number of impressions that you guys get collectively is something that you track. Is that fair to say? That's a big part of the social media dilemma. Not all of them. But we could say when it comes to the campaigns we run and when we get a, a group of people who are like, hey, we want to talk about this, we usually get those impressions. Yeah. And when it comes to the community team, we do get, we have a, a very, I would say, very realistic number for the amounts of impressions we get. Fantastic. Continuing on with the employee advocacy program, I saw that you created a campaign that leveraged the employees and also you talk about you're always experimenting, always trying new things. You also took advantage of the job title change announcements on LinkedIn. It was a campaign that I saw it led to something like over a million organic impressions in just a week. Can you tell us about that campaign and how it came about and uh, yeah, what you got from it? Yeah, like I said, we're always experimenting and we're always trying to find ways to be on the right side of the algorithm. You can say that. And this was just a fun idea because we've, like I said, we think about it in, in terms of circles and personas that we want to talk to. And it was just like, let's change our titles to the reality. If we work in Apollo, we're best friends with the salespeople, we're best friends with the marketers. And we just wanted to do that. And we knew about the kind of views that we were going to get because if you've posted recently about a promotion or a new job that gets views. And it was just very exciting because it was like it was like telling everyone, we're just formalizing something that everyone knows we're best friends with or personas. Because really, we are trying to build a platform that, uh, or we've built a platform that can really solve a lot of problems for our personas. So it was just that I'm making it official. And about the benefits, I would say when it comes to brand gains, I would say no action is small in general. I'm always like, even when I'm just like replying to a comment, I'm thinking of, oh, this one person knows Apollo cares. And when you can do that with big numbers, like 1 million organic impressions, then that's just, I feel like that's just a huge brand win. And we also hear like a lot of great things from people. They were like, oh, I want you to be my best friend. And a lot of people were like, the marketers is one of our personas. So naturally they were like, I love this campaign. And yeah, it was just very exciting. And like I said, we just made it official that we're besties. Yeah, it's a great campaign. Again, another thing that really brings that human life into the brand and really, really well executed. So well done on that. Continuing speaking of experimenting, I saw that you guys have also started LinkedIn takeovers from partners that you guys work with. I think I saw the CEO of Aurum was 
taking over? What's all that about? What's the purpose of that? I feel like I'm being annoying, taking it back to the circles again. Like I said, it's my job to give them the spotlight or the stage to those personas we really want to talk to. And we felt like it was a very cool thing to do for our partners. We do, we've built over the last year a big, a big following. We can say that. And we are offering a lot of people, I would say, or partners particularly, the opportunity to talk about their companies, to talk about how they relate to Apollo and the kind of conversations that are important for them or, or ICP. So that's why you will be seeing more of those. Um, not only that, we've had employees takeovers. We have employees talking about what they're passionate about, where we have partners talking about about their partnerships with Apollo. Not from a salesy point of view, that's never our intention, but more, hey, we partnered with Apollo to solve this and that. And, and just talk a little bit more about the humans that make Apollo and also those humans that are around Apollo. So you get to know a little bit of us and our friends too. What a great way to fill your content calendar as well. I love that. <laughs> it is. It, it is. it is. And it's never boring because I'm always like chatting with these people and I'm always like, what do you want to talk about? And I love that because they have a lot of different things to say about like how they relate to Apollo, how they use Apollo, what customers are saying about Apollo. So it's just a great exercise for me of learning more and also listening to what customers have to say. How far out are you? planning your content how far out do you have it locked in is your content calendar full i am i feel like in my case i have a lot of flexibility i usually don't have a lot of approval processes which makes you know my life so much easier because <laughs> because i guess they trust me not to post something crazy <laughs> and that's great but yeah i try to plan probably two weeks in advance yeah two weeks in advance would be a nice number but i gotta say Nothing is written on stone for me. If I feel like I, I, I read a post today and I'm like, mm, this post won't do well today. This is mostly based on my experience, I guess. It's more subjective. But sometimes I go, this post with this many words won't do well today. It doesn't feel like it's the mood of the platform today. And I will change it. But yeah, like I said, I try to plan two weeks in, in advance, but it's not this exactly what's going to be posted. Okay, that makes sense. And look, maybe that's also why it feels so human because you're, you're taking into account what's gone on that week. And so just because you planned to post it two weeks ago doesn't mean that it's actually going to be the right fit for right now. So yeah, yeah that's I, expert level stuff. I once read a comment and I don't know if I should be saying it, but I'm gonna. And this person says, Apollo is just the cutest because even they made, they have typos. And I was like, oh, I have a typo, like in the comments. <laughs> and this person was like, yes, you do. But we love you for that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so great. So great. And look, typos, again, humanizes the brand. Absolutely human. Even if I didn't accident. do it on purpose. But... I love it. That's so great. I'd love to hear about any tools that you're listening. Every now and then, uh, when we occasionally DM each other, you Tell me about a particular tool that you might be using. Are there any tools that you're using, whether it's for social listening or analysis or scheduling? What are you using right now, if anything? I got to be honest. I keep my social media management pretty organic. I am a big fan of Notion, though. 
I have my calendar and everything, my campaigns, my explanations and everything in Notion. But besides Notion, I'm a big Canva fan for little editing and stuff. But yeah, I don't really, I don't even have a scheduling platform because I feel like platforms now have that too and analytics. So yeah, I might be thinking of something more related to metrics soon, like more in depth, but yeah, my tech stack is basically Notion and Canva. Yeah, that's great. We keep it super simple as well. I just find the more things you layer on, you can often get analysis paralysis. It stops you from listening. It stops you from executing. So yeah, we love to keep it simple as well. Yeah, I feel like if I spend more time on a scheduling social media management platform, and this is my view, I would probably not spend as much time on the actual platforms. And that's something I don't really want to happen because I feel like I would be seeing only numbers and trends and whatever on the on this management platform and not on the actual thing. So I, I don't know. I just feel like I don't want that to happen. I'm like, when this musician that it's like very well known and whatever and they go and listen to newcomers and they want to get inspiration for the real thing i'm pretty much like that i feel like if i spent more time on a platform scheduling management taking a look just at numbers and trends and and whatever i would lose touch of what's happening in reality which is social media reality <laughs> <laughs> Look, and you can't really fake your brand being human. And I think that's why when so many companies outsource their social media management to a large agency where someone is just executing a strategy, they're not really in the weeds, they're not in your business, they're not with your customers, rarely does it go well. Yeah. Because you're not getting I, that live feedback. I agree with that. And I feel so bad to say this because I know there are a lot of people creating agencies that... They mean, but yeah, if I can vote for something, it's always to keep social media in-house. Not because I'm a social media manager and I might get a job from that, but, <laughs> but because I feel like knowing the reality of a company is just a huge win. And agencies have a hard time to do that. Let's be honest. It's just like super hard to know the reality of what's going on in the company if you're not part of the company. And for example, the way I do social media is a lot of listening to what others are saying, but also I go to my different departments and I go, hey, partnerships, what's going on? Who should we be talking to? Which partners should have a takeover? I'm communicating with the different teams. And if it was an external entity, it would be more difficult. And yeah, like I said, I feel so bad for saying this because I feel like there are a lot of agencies that mean very, they have very good intentions, but yeah, I don't feel it's the best way to go. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I'm of that view too, not just for social media, but really all areas of marketing in the business. I think that's why so many external parties have a really hard time properly making an impact on the business because the reality is for them to make a really big impact in your business, you need to be in it pretty close to full time speaking with customers, speaking with people internally, and that model just doesn't really scale for a business. The agency model is take on more work with the same number of resources, essentially. Yeah, I would say that I feel like there's, as someone who worked in a lot of agencies, a lot of, a few agencies before being an in-house social media manager, I would say that maybe there's a point where it makes sense to have an agency. But when companies go bigger, it's just, it becomes harder and harder. Because when it's like a small company, 
small team, it's probably easier to communicate with them if you are the agency representative or owner or whatever. But then when it gets bigger and there are more interests and there's all these approval processes and there's legal and there's all these other things, it gets complicated. It gets more complicated. So yeah, not to be mean on agencies, but I think there are a few cases where it actually makes sense if you are just a small company and you want to outsource that. I just don't want to be mean to them. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Look, and look, if you're a, an earlier stage company and you're sales led and your LinkedIn, your public image, your public profile is just there for social validation for people being like, yep, this business really exists then of course, an agency is a great way of keeping that ticking over and you can give them that information, the pillars of your business. But if you're an early stage company and like you're community led, and that's going to be a core growth pillar for you, then maybe that's something that you want to take in house earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And you need, you need a team for it. It's not, it's not even a one person's job. It's like, it takes a village for real. Yeah. And I can see that. I can see that in your smallish, but very mighty team that you guys are building at Apollo. Shout out to those guys. <laughs> Looking forward to the next six to 12 months, what do you think is going to be the hardest challenge that you're going to face as the head of social at Apollo? Mm. I am on a mission to keep innovating and that's always hard, especially when I walked into Apollo. I, the way I'm thinking of my second year in Apollo is like, this is a real challenge. Because when I walked in, I had a lot of things that I wanted to do and that I had done and that I had experience on and I knew they were going to work. But now it's more about like innovating big time, creating strategies that will make people talk about Apollo and learn more about Apollo and be more curious about what we're doing. And I think this is paired with a great, I think this is going to be a great year for us in terms of also the platform and the things that the product team is doing. And I would say stay tuned to everyone because a lot of cool things are going to be happening this year for us. Okay. On that note, we might have to have you back for a part three in another <laughs> six to 12 months time. Well, let's see what happens. That. Yeah, can't wait. Look, Medigola, you've been so generous with your time as always. You are absolutely incredible at what you do. And thank you so much for sharing, I guess, the internals of your strategy and all your social media wis wisdom with our audience. And for, again, coming back on the show. Before we round out the conversation, is there anything else that you'd like to add to the conversation or direct our audience's attention to? Yeah, just go check out Apollo. <laughs> um, follow us <laughs> plain and simple you heard it people go and follow apollo also make sure you follow Marioli. where would you like people to find you personally if they want to connect with you linkedin is the best place as Marioli arias yeah we can have a chat there i'm always happy when i get about social media and things like that i should be more active on linkedin but i promise this year is going to be a little different <laughs> i'm going to post a little bit more Fantastic. There's always stuff to pick up there. So go ahead and connect with Dolly. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, George. Well, Mariotti certainly has a few superpowers, doesn't she, George? Fantastic to see her go from strength to strength in this new role at Apollo. We've had a blast watching her journey. Apollo is certainly benefiting a lot from her expertise and her team's efforts, all of which is growing a healthy and rather loud community behind the brand. Yeah, Kev, she is a social media superstar and that's why we just had to have her back. Look, 
probably what's most impressive is the number of people that are winning from these social media conversations that she's getting to take place. So you've got her internal team who are really getting the spotlight. You've got the business partners and the fans of the business, and they're all turning into evangelists too. So there's just so many win-win scenarios, Kevin. Of course, there's everyone that's now heard of the amazing product and they can also experience it for themselves. So as she said, it's fantastic that Apollo's product is so damn good that it also gives people so much to talk about. And above all, it was a super insightful conversation for us to have with her about what makes great social media selling and building relationships online tick in this day and age when there's just so much noise. And listeners, we loved a few key points that we want to go over again from that conversation. First, there's Marioli's absolute superpower of humanizing the brand. She focuses on amplifying the conversation within communities. So it's all very natural. It's all very organic. And she really does that by focusing on the three circles of people to talk with. Love that three circles concept. Her second power, Kev, is to get everyone on the team contributing. Now, her tips here are really leading by example and explaining to the rest of the team the benefits of building a personal brand. And lastly, experimenting is really important. We all know that things like a job change campaign or LinkedIn takeovers from some of their great partners, when these things really start to pay off, that's all a result of that great experimentation that's going on all the time at their end. All right, listeners, go and find Merioli Arias on LinkedIn. We will link to her profile in the show notes. And look, as always, Kevin and I are so stoked that more and more of you are joining us every Monday by listening to the podcast. And if we could ask just one thing, it would be to please pass the show onto someone that might enjoy and get value from it, or even better, leave us a short review on whatever platform it is that you listen on. It's a huge help to us. It's a great help to our future listeners. And we really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Mattioli. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listeners and viewers. Take care and catch you next week. Thank you, George. Thank you, Mattioli. Thank you, listeners. Take care and catch you all next week. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.